Welcome to UCLA Extension's Business Insights with Roger Ternaden, where we highlight hot topics and underlying economic trends useful to you. As this is our year-end forecast, I do extend to all of our listeners warm wishes for the holidays, and I really look forward to a new year full of positive family experiences. With a much better understanding of the COVID economy and jobs markets, plus multiple vaccines on the way, this may be a good, quiet time to reflect on personal financial and career objectives. We know that many businesses are in transformation for many reasons, including COVID and including adoption of work-related technologies. Likewise, 2021 may be transformational for many careers and investments. This podcast is intended to give you some additional viewpoints and perspectives that will help prepare for another year, hopefully a better one, also promising a continuation of magnified risks, threats, and new opportunities. UCLA is closed the last half of December, but our online enrollment systems, 24 by 7 every day, eagerly await your enrollment. We are one of the largest, most comprehensive continuing education providers in the world, and UCLA continues its number one ranking as the top public university in the United States. This high ranking is mentioned in that it's one we aspire to earn every year based on adding value to our students' livelihoods and updated knowledge. So please join us in our online and live online classrooms and start the new year on your personal journey to acquire great educational experiences from your home with leading instructors across all industries, disciplines, and careers www.uclaextension.edu. Most of our classes begin the week of January 4th, and you can enroll online from now through the holidays and even into January. Once again, it's www.uclaextension.edu. Since it is year-end, and we all now know more about COVID, the election results, and economic recovery issues, I'll focus on two important topics today. First of all, the latest UCLA Anderson economic forecast, which was only presented a few days ago, that's mid-December. And secondly, aspects of the recovery that will likely change our economy, our financial markets, inflation expectations, and 2021's major threats, including some resulting potential investment opportunities, in my view. We'll cover both the glasses half empty and the glasses half full expectations with one for sure observation. 2021 and thereafter will not be a return to 2019 and prior years. Some big changes are coming as they are already baked in. Now the 2021 Anderson forecast summary for California, where there are major differences between the California forecast and the U.S. forecast. I'll highlight them for you. First, some good news. The residential real estate market is expected to continue strong with its low interest rates and actual housing shortages throughout many of the large metropolitan areas. Downtowns should continue weak, suburbs continuing strong, and the outflows or moves from California will continue, but home sales and prices are expected to nevertheless continue strong. 
This is good news for homeowners, but not so helpful for renters planning to buy their first homes. The California state government is actually faring better than many states for a reason receiving past criticism. California's budget has been overly dependent on capital gains taxes received from the stock market and from real estate gains. But this year, with booming stock markets and real estate markets, California continues to keep total tax collections ahead of last year. Unfortunately, this does not translate to the cities and counties as they are collectors of real estate taxes and many kinds of fees, including sales taxes on meals and hospitality taxes on hotel stays. Local governments will up their games to increase taxes and fees at a time when many of the local government employees are on partial furloughs and many of their tax-paying citizens are unemployed. It'll be an especially challenging year for the politicians and the taxpayers. Another area of good news, at least for the seaports and commercial aviation shipments, is merchandise. The remote lifestyle has threatened and continues to threaten the existence of movie theaters, sports venues, restaurants, hotels, nail salons, and other important personal services, but has resulted in high growth in merchandise sales. Again, unfortunately, this has benefited online retailers, delivery services, and shipping, but continued as a threat to brick-and-mortar retailers, shopping centers, office-related real estate, and many personal service sectors. Public education has been particularly hard hit, with many layoffs as school closures continue into January. A second education issue relates to teachers' unions' decisions on when to return to classrooms with nothing to be taken for granted. A major loss across America is the required default to online learning in grade schools and pre-grade schools. Making up a lost year for many, to say nothing of adding the education day-to-day to a household with two wage earners, could be maybe the most substantial COVID-related loss in addition to, of course, the loss of many lives. It's really hard to measure the loss of particularly K-12 through education, but losing a year of education across the country is incredibly important. The issues are all about COVID, with 2021 not so quickly returning to any sense of normalcy, at least until the back half of 2021 or the year 2022. My concern, as you know from prior podcasts, is the economic damage already done and working its way through the bankruptcy and unemployment processes. For those who can work remotely, 2021 may be frustrating, but not threatening to their livelihoods. For those unable to do their jobs remotely, 2021 may look a lot like today with expiring governmental support programs, threats of eviction for rent non-payment, and tough lending standards by credit card issuers and banks on general credit. There are a number of areas of not-so-good news, and I'm not going to dwell on it, but I need to mention what we see as it will definitely have a direct impact on the economy next year. Even with the promise of vaccines, tourism remains in collapse. Passenger arrivals in Los Angeles and San Francisco in October were down almost 90% from a year ago. Hotel-based conferences are non-existent, and overall hotel bookings are so low that their debt defaults threaten many debt securities owned by mutual and pension funds. This situation may worsen 
In fact, I'm almost sure it will worsen in the first half of 2021. Those negatively impacted during 2020 COVID will continue to be negatively impacted, unfortunately, for most of next year. On the other hand, those positively impacted will continue their beneficial position. Technology for remote work, online retailing, merchandise for do-it-yourself, and home entertainment, delivery services, and home ownership. Those who are in those positions or those retailers or providers who provide those goods will undoubtedly have a pretty good 2021. All in all, the Anderson forecast, which I've been drawing from in these early comments, expects high unemployment and the occupations relating to high unemployment to continue well into next year. And without noticeable improvements, serious improvements until 2022 and thereafter. Nationally, it's pretty much the same picture, but keep in mind, California has been one of the hardest-hit states with COVID, along with New York State and Hawaii, and for similar reasons. The dependence on face-to-face services and their positions as global business and entertainment destinations. As I mentioned before, it's important to consider the already-done COVID-related economic damage. With no COVID, there would have been continued modest growth in the economy and employment. From where we stand now, we can't expect to return to the pre-COVID growth levels that would have been reached until 2025 or later, if ever. As we record this, we are facing the real possibility of another economic downturn, again, COVID-related. Right now, we're stuck economically near the lowest point of the 2008-2009 Great Recession with increasing COVID deaths and more business operations restrictions. I don't want to think of the worst-case scenario, so I'm dealing with the key assumptions that the vaccines will mitigate the health crisis in 2021 keeping in mind a lot of the damage has already been done and continues to be inflicted in the meantime. Bankruptcies of businesses, again, they are the employers, and small businesses employ far more employees than the large corporations. And these bankruptcies in the pipeline, along with tougher bank lending standards, will continue to threaten the existence of these companies. As I've mentioned in prior podcasts, we have a serious unemployment problem, which is substantially understated by looking at the official unemployment data released by uh, the Bureau of Labor Statistics and other government agencies. They note that official unemployment is 6.7% or so now, and that's about 10.7 million unemployed. But to that, to really get an indication of the number of people across the country unemployed, you have to add another 2 million who are on temporary layoff and add another 4.7 million who are in the labor force but not at work for other reasons. And then we have to add approximately another 10 million workers who have given up finding jobs, and they gave up even before COVID, and they're not counted in the unemployment data. The 6.7 doesn't count them at all. So if you really add up the categories of people who are really unemployed or substantially underemployed, having a part-time job instead of a full-time job, we pretty quickly get up to a 15 to 20 percent unemployment rate. And that's now. And that's after the government support programs that have been in place since uh, mid-year. 
That's not so strange when we consider that total small business revenue from January of 2020 until November, just last month, depending on the industry, has declined from 25 to 33%. As I'll say that again, total business revenue has declined from 25 to 33%, depending on the exact method of measurement and the industry. And many small businesses, as a result, could not and cannot remain financially sustainable until vaccine effectiveness is adequately demonstrated, which may be after mid-year 2021. And that's assuming the public accepts the reported effectiveness of the vaccine and agrees to be vaccinated. So there are a lot of positive assumptions in this case that sounds pretty negative, I'll admit. Best case, many surviving businesses will need another year or longer to just rebuild their client base and revenues to break even points, much less where they were a year ago. But 13.7 million people, and these people are included in the data I gave, but this is kind of a tsunami, so I want to mention it. 13.7 million people are set to lose unemployment benefits in the next week or two. Almost all government pandemic programs, as well as state unemployment support, has expired or will expire this month for those jobless in March, April, and May who are still jobless. Pretty much all of the financial support has expired or will expire. They've reached the end of their state unemployment benefits. Federal benefits have been spent, not receiving additional funds. And as you probably know, the programs that were supporting small business, the money has been returned or is in the process of being returned to the general funds. In any event, those jobless, the 13.7 million people who are threatened by a loss of benefits are included in the above 15 to 20% unemployment rate. This is a, a pretty sudden fall from a cliff that they're facing. There are many family incomes that were on life support that are headed to zero during the holidays. And meanwhile, rent defaults continue. Anti-eviction regulations expire or have expired. So for many, 2021 will begin to unfold pretty much as a disaster, with Congress unable or unwilling to provide more financial support on time. I'm going to cover a lot of ground in the next few minutes. This podcast took the longest to prepare the entire podcast, if I were to give it from my notes, would be closer to an hour. So I'm not going to do that. I'm going to give you the summary results of a lot of the work that I have been doing to analyze data and trends up to December 11th. And I'll give you my expectations. And my hope is they will stimulate thought for you. Nobody knows it all, but I'd like to pass along important trends that I see that are going to be moving into and through 2021. First of all, interest rates. Short-term interest rates, and I'll call short-term two years or less. Short-term interest rates for government-issued debt, certificates of deposit, savings account, money market funds, and so forth will continue pretty much where they are today, between zero and one percent or so. That's not going to be true, in my view, for long-term rates. Long-term rates should move up during the year, quite possibly with one or more panic spikes up as the inflation story emerges. We'll get to that in a second. In a year, mortgage rates, such as the 25 to 30-year fixed-rate mortgages, should be up significantly, maybe 2 to 3 percentage points higher to the 5 to 6% range. 
I do expect the Treasury yield curve to steepen based upon these factors. And as I'm going to cover shortly and have before also, I expect the Federal Reserve to continue to provide very substantial amounts of liquidity to continue to be the primary buyer of new government securities. And actually the primary buyer of a lot of the refinanced government securities. And about $8 trillion is going to be required over the next 12 months or so to buy the newly issued and the refied U.S. government securities, $8 trillion, and I expect the Federal Reserve to be the primary buyer. Number two, inflation concerns are going to ramp up. They've been in the background for years. We're beginning to witness inflation now. Raw materials prices have been in liftoff mode for the past three to six months, which is unique for a recessionary period. The world's economies are weak due to COVID, which normally suggests decreases in raw materials prices. However, both the agricultural commodities, wheat, corn, soybeans, and so forth, the energy commodities, and key manufacturing commodities like copper, even coal, have been trending up in recent months. I don't know that a lot of this has been reported, but if you like, you can certainly verify that. Number three, the dollar is dropping and has dropped close to 10% in the past six or so months. That's making imports more expensive and these higher prices are finding their way into the consumer prices. Number four, residential rent increases have been suppressed by COVID-related legislation and almost all this legislation has expired or expires in the next couple of weeks. Number five, wages have not decreased significantly during this recession, but now they're actually increasing. Of course, more workers are unemployed, but many are dropping off the unemployment rate calculation, as we've covered before. But those who are employed are receiving higher increases or new jobs that are open or paying more than prior occupants of those jobs had been received. So we're getting a real barbell-type labor market where those who do not have what I would say a education beyond high school are having issues and facing a lot of the bad news I mentioned before. But those who have a college education or higher and have kept up with their updated knowledges are actually doing pretty well during this environment, and that, that will likely continue. Number six, supply chains are being rebuilt to cut down on low-cost but risky China source manufacturing, starting with pharmaceuticals, but including defense and high-tech related. Number seven, energy prices have been trending up for about six months or so, which again is counterintuitive for a global recessionary period. Energy prices, as we all know, can be controlled by foreign country supplier nations, and I think we can assume that that very much is the case now. Number eight, as mentioned a couple of months ago, I personally chose to exit many of my diversified stock market investments, and that's a decision I personally made for the first time in over 30 years. I did that to avoid the high-risk environment that I see, and so far I've missed about a 5% or so increase in the overall market as it has made a series of new highs. That's okay. Presently, I do continue to hold a portfolio of gold and silver mining stocks acquired over the past five plus years and am beginning to think about buying back into other stocks in late January or February, but doing so gradually. Market segments I'm considering are those that have suffered a bit 
in recent months, including major oil stocks, REITs, or the REITs that own apartment complexes, not the REITs that own office buildings, I would want to say. And the focus of the REITs that I may buy, the stock I may buy, they would have apartment ownership focused in medium-sized cities, not the large metro markets. There are a number of those. And importantly, considering buying back into high-quality stocks that are long-term dividend payers in consumer goods and insurance. And in looking at what these stocks might be, I'm not an investment advisor via this podcast, but if you have the interest, I would start with Warren Buffett's portfolio of holdings and look at the higher dividend stocks. But on the internet, it's quite possible to find lists of consumer stocks, to find lists of insurance companies, life insurance companies particularly, that have been long-term dividend payers. And uh, along with that, I would plan to avoid banks. I think the financial environment overall is not going to be positive for the banking industry with interest rates remaining as low as they are. I think it's going to take a long time for the airlines to recover and be, again, really good investment. That's my opinion. And in general, I would underweight the stocks that have been very much the backbone of the big increase we've seen in the indices and the so-called FANG stocks. FANG, as you likely know, would be stocks like Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Netflix, Alphabet, or Google. But there are a few more. Microsoft is a member of that group that has resulted in very high stock market indices and new highs. I would probably tend to underweight those. The 2021 environment will be positive, in my view, for residential real estate outside the major metro areas. I think it will continue to be positive for work at home, but I think a lot of the valuation of these stocks has gotten way ahead of itself, but that's a that's an opinion. As the large investment managers, let's say the thousand or so that control the trillions of dollars that move around the world, as these large or ultra-large investment managers conclude the risk of inflation is greater than deflation, they will cut back their bond investments. And as I mentioned before, the Fed and other central banks must continue to buy the avalanche of new government debt, which appears never-ending. But the global bond market is simply too large for central banks to control forever. Confidence shifts from bonds to stocks, and I think we're in this early process. Watch out. And this has been a cycle that has been in place for centuries. It will be again. Timing this is very difficult. So I prefer to protect my gains, just not be there when this ultimately does occur. But there will be a point, I think it will be personally in 2021, it could be earlier rather than later, that inflation is going to spook the bond market and it's going to spook the small number of people who control large numbers of investment dollars. And that is kind of dangerous to be holding securities that they are selling in mass. I continue to be concerned about another major stock market sell-off, so any investments I do make will be gradual. Perhaps a third in February, a third in March, April, maybe a third in the summer. I'm not going to try to time the market. My priority is to keep the profits made over the past several years and not be a victim of a major stock market decline. Again, as covered in previous podcasts, we've only had one major sell-off in recent years, and that was in March, and a quick recovery. Normally, three or four major declines can be expected during a major recessionary period before the new long-term recovery is in place. And I do not personally believe the long-term recovery is yet in place. We're stepping in that direction, though. 
So it's time to rethink the financial environment we've gotten used to in recent years. The holidays are a good, quiet time, I think, for this year. I do get troubled, but I do recognize that there's a divergence between the stock market, the bond market, and the commodity market, and Main Street business. And for me, rising commodity prices are the canary in the coal mine, so to speak, and they already indicate rising inflationary pressures. Wage growth is beginning to be noticeable in the inflation feedback loop. The S&P 500 index, which is largely a stock index that benefits from disinflation, is facing a headwind now with materially higher interest rates threatening. And as Sir John Templeton said, which I have learned to agree with, quote, bull markets are born on pessimism, grow on skepticism, mature on optimism, and die on euphoria. So with that, I will wish you a pleasant as possible holiday season and look forward to speaking with you again in January. If you have questions, please email me, but I hope that you will take advantage of the next couple of weeks and think about your own personal game plan, career-wise and investment-wise. Stay healthy, really be well, and, and take care of you and your family. Be sure to email us at rtornadin at uclaextension.edu on more specific questions, which we will answer either personally or select as part of our future podcast. Hosted by Business and Legal Programs Director Roger Tornadin. This podcast is presented by UCLA Extension and produced by Jamie Moss at Studio 10960. These podcasts are made for educational purposes and are not financial advice. The goal is to educate and provide resources on focused economic and job trends with the latest support research so that you can make more informed financial and career decisions that best suit your personal needs. UCLA Extension offers more than 5,000 online and in-classroom courses taught by over 2,000 leading practitioners to help you get from here to there. For more information on this podcast or our financial and legal programs, please check us out at www.uclaextension.edu. We know it's about your life, not just your money.